Dose of Leadership Podcast, episode 288. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Before leaving for combat in Afghanistan, my next guest, Navy SEAL Tom Shea, promised his wife that he would write to his children in case he didn't make it back. What was initially intended to be a private memoir for his family turned into a powerful book called Unbreakable. It's a powerful set of lessons for anyone striving to perform beyond what they believe. Tom served 23 years with distinguished valor as a Navy SEAL. And during his military career, he served in three wars, ultimately leading a team of Navy SEALs into Afghanistan in 2009, where he earned a Silver Star, a Bronze Star with Valor, Army Accommodation with Valor, and a Second Combat Action Medal. He's also the CEO of Adam Tyne Alliance, a leadership and human performance coaching organization, and it was an honor to have Tom Shea on my show. You're really going to enjoy this conversation. We talk about his book, Unbreakable. We talk about uh, leadership and life in, in general, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. Hey, check out DoseOfLeadership.com. Visit my website if you want to see all the interviews on Dose of Leadership. You can also subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher and download it to your mobile device. Also, check out RichardRyerson.com to learn more about my speaking, coaching, and masterminding services. And without further ado, here is Tom Shea, former Navy SEAL on Dose of Leadership. Well, Tom, so excited to have you on the show. Welcome to Dose of Leadership, my friend. Uh, thanks for having me. I love having Navy SEALs. You know, when I was in the Marine Corps, flew KC-130s and did a lot of uh, halo drops with guys, with you guys in uh, Kuwait, but this was in the kind of the late 90s, but I always enjoyed working with you guys. So uh, how much interaction did you have with the Corps? Oh, well, that's a great con- great question. Uh, you don't go into combat without having Marine Corps somewhere. Yeah. Either fighting next to them in, uh, you know, Ramadi or Habania or in uh, Kandahar. I can't remember a time, even in Kosovo, that there hasn't been Marine massive involvement in my life. So yeah, here we are again. <laughs> here we are again. No, and I like I said, I have the utmost respect for the, for all the SEALs I worked with. A great every guy I worked with has just been a great guy to work with and a great guy to play with. I mean, they they definitely worked hard and play hard and and uh, had a had a few beers with quite a few in my time in the Corps, and it was just it was just great conversations and great camaraderie of all. So I always appreciate what you guys did, what uh, and still do. What when did you get out? I retired three years ago, January. So you know, three three plus years ago. And how long were you in? Twenty six years? Is that right? No, I was I was in twenty three years. Twenty three long. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, man, it feels like a hundred years. Yeah, yeah, it was twenty three. Your body must be must be sore. I don't know. I can't imagine. No, my- I I lucked. I I you know that's the only thing I think was luck in my career is I never got a major injury, never got blown up or shot. Uh, my wife would debate if I have brain trauma or not, but. <laughs> I know I don't have any any big ailments other than age. When so when you started, what was the 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 goal was always to be a SEAL or was it join the Navy, join the military? How did how did the dream of a SEAL come into play? Ooh, I have to go that back that far. Yeah. Huh? So yeah. I grew up uh, with guys that were precursors to SEALs that were uh, in the World War II vintage. 
uh, friends of my dad. And so I always saw that, uh, you know, if that old guy can, could have done that lifestyle, that was always the first inspiration to me. And hanging out with them when I was young was the real beginning. But I, I played football and track in high school and graduated from a little town in Brook, called Brookville, Indiana, and went straight to West Point. So the story starts there, and it ends there, actually. Uh, I ended up failing out after my third year. Wow. And Which I think is the funniest conversation about performance and leadership is where you start from failure. Yes. And uh, so, you know, try not to make it too long. Went to, uh, I went home with my tail tucked between my legs and that same guy who I grew up with asked me a simple question. Now that you failed, what do you have to lose? Yeah. And I'm like, well, and he said, what, did you, what would you like to do that you willing to commit your life to now? And I said, hey, Pat, I always wanted to be a SEAL. And he goes, do it. <laughs> and so, I, you know, I went back to college and in that, that year and a half of trying to figure out if I wanted to do the corporate route or another route, those long enduring conversations with Pat Tomlinson led me to walking into the recruiter's office and there just happened to be a Navy SEAL recruiter there. Wow. And he signed me up and I signed up and I couldn't swim. I never swam before. You're kidding me. No. Oh and uh, so then I learned how to swim by you, know, you jump into a pool and have a girl train you. And that's, that's been the story of my life. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. It's, a, it's always so fun to hear how those little, uh, I don't know, missteps or getting faced with some sort of adversity or at the time probably looks like a crushing defeat actually ends up being quite a blessing in disguise in some roundabout way. A lot of it's due by your initiative and choice, obviously. I and mean, I think that's important to understand. Did you realize that? I mean, at the time is like, I have a lot of control over this or it's just like, oh, I got to do something. I mean, what was it? Was it, was it pride, shame, motivation? What drove you to go down that path? Down the seal path. It's just, uh, I, I, in talking to people who have been successful and now I know it to be true at the time, I didn't know it to be true, but what become, I'll just say it this way. What has become true. I had the opportunity of learning early in life and here's the truth. Out of adversity comes greatness. Yeah. And yeah, what made me choose that then is asking people who are successful, you know, how do you pursue a successful life when you've just hit rock bottom? And they all laugh. They're like, hey, you, you, now it's time to start. <laughs> right. Until you hit rock bottom, then you're just coasting in life. And so and they, and they said, hey, go big. Yeah. Go to attack something that you cannot figure out, but it wakes you up in the morning. Yeah. And that led me to SEALs. And then I, I so I went into the Navy enlisted having a degree because I, I, I for some reason it was easier for me to think about uh, going in enlisted because the job opportunities within the SEAL program were more yeah. uh, better for enlisted. So I go to SEAL training through their route of corpsman. So I became a Navy corpsman, ended up at SEAL training, start my first class, make it to Hell Week, and got a concussion. Oh, my gosh. Then I, since I already know how to come back from adversity, 
as long as you don't quit in SEAL, in the SEAL community and you can perform at the same time, as long as you don't quit, they're not going to kick you out. Right. And so they said, Hey, would you like to start over? Part of the, the devil on my shoulder said, yes. And the angel said, dude, don't, don't. Yeah. You might not want to do this again. <laughs> and I chose the devil side. So, yeah. and, uh, so I, I started my second class, got to hell week again and dislocated my shoulder. Oh my God, dude. <laughs> and then I was like, and they, and again, same thing. Well, they said, you know, Shay, are you going to quit or are you going to get rolled again? And I said, uh, well, I'd love to start on Monday, but I can't lift my arm. So I missed a class and they started me up again at the beginning, made it to hell week, got pneumonia. What? And I won't make the, I won't make the story longer than this. So <laughs> I got pneumonia again and they said, you can start over. <laughs> So I started over with pneumonia. And if anybody listening to this has ever had pneumonia, you know that you yeah, can't do anything. That is, yeah, it knocks you down. And so I made it another five weeks into hell week again, woke up in the hospital with all five lobes, about 50% infiltrated with fluid. Oh my God. And they, and they kicked me out. Oh my God. I, so I came back six months later or nine months later and made it through unscathed in my fifth attempt. Holy that's, cow. that's the start of my life. <laughs> Holy cow. That is yeah. incredible. I mean, I thought I knew what the definition of tenacity was, but that's the most tenacious story I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. It didn't feel tenacious. Yeah. But it, it is the definition yeah. of it though, my friend. Good Lord. I, it, tenacious to me, I think I have my def, my definition is start over. Well, that's and what, take what you got and move as best you can with what you got. And that boy, that, that definition carried true in combat. And so I was used to being that level of start over tenacious. And then when I finally got into combat, combat was welcome. Yeah. It was easier to deal in combat than it was in regular life. Yeah. When you graduated, were they just like blown away that how, you know, I mean, did they all know, they obviously knew your story, right? I mean, how long it took you to get to the final graduation? Uh, it's hard to blow a seal away. Yeah, that's and my, true. my story is probably on the list of, you know, one to a thousand, the top story. I'm probably at 90. Yeah. I have a good story, but I there's guys that, but just, I know a guy that got shot 28 times or 27 times and survived. Oh my God. And so, yeah. And you don't get pats on the back in that community ever. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're right. Mm -hmm. And listening to you in, in, in that combination of leadership that I, that I talk about on the show and that I think that we all should be striving for is that intensity of will coupled with this tremendous sense of humility, which defines the seals in a nutshell. And in that type of leadership is warrior-like. It is sacrificial. I mean, to me, it's the ultimate in love, actually. Some people are uncomfortable with it in the, in the civilian corporate community, but I think that's how life should be lived because you can't avoid adversity. You can't avoid chaos. You can't avoid tragedy. You can't avoid, no matter how hard you try, you're going to get knocked on your ass at some point. And 
those moment of greatness to your point is are measured by how you get up. Yeah. And you hear about that and I'm, I'm kind of glad that you took it that direction is, is you could, you can, you can download it adverse stories. And so the big question is, Oh, I get that. That's encouraging. And then you're in that moment of that transition. What happens in that moment, I think very few people understand, Mm. is adversity and chaos are twins. They're probably the same. They're not twins. Yeah. In adversity, nothing is clear. You don't get a clear step. It's not clear, boy, if I start again, then it will always work out. Right. It's not clear, hey, you know, if I just get up, it is gray. And more than worse than that, it's discouraging. Right. Because the people, not the seals next to you, not your guys going through the same adverse condition, they're always encouraging because they're just struggling in the moment. The outside world is totally discouraging to everything that is adverse. And even your parents, right? Your the, girlfriend, yeah, your the wife, closest one. Your, you're right. If you're a woman, your boyfriend, they don't want you to feel the pain, and they don't want you to experience loss. So they inadvertently are discouraging. Meanwhile, the seal instructor goes, "Oh, it's bleeding. Okay, get up. It hurts. Cool, get up." They may yell at you and cuss a little bit. But that community knows the only thing that you can do as a teammate is encourage the other guy to honor their word. So you promised to be here. I'm sorry that your leg is broke. You still are here. So either quit or stay. And that aspect of adversity is what people don't understand Mm -hmm. is getting up. Oh, yeah, I can get up, you know, like, you know, like the last Super Bowl. In the last second, it was one. Yeah. Because they got back up. Did they know they were going to win? You can ask them later. But in the moment, they're like, shit, this is going south. Yeah. Either we get back in the game or we just coast through this and make our million dollars. Right. But let's play as best we can right now. Something will open up. And it's gray. That's what's so crazy that people... I like I try to encourage the people around me and my clients. It's simple to think about. Very difficult when you're experiencing it. Yeah, because we want. Yeah, it's such a great point. It's a it's a subtle, very powerful point because when you're in the middle of it, again, nothing. Just because you get up, still nothing's guaranteed. You may still not finish. You may not make it to the end. You may go even deeper into the hole that you even thought was possible. Right. Yes. And <laughs> it's usually deeper. <laughs> yeah, right, right. I mean, yeah, we tend to think, Oh, this is it. This is my splat moment. You know, I, I'm just going to get motivated and say yes and move. Well, the reality is that may not, that's the grayness you're talking about. Nothing is guaranteed. Nothing is certain. And that's, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, that really is the definition of courage, right? I mean, you just don't know. And what are your choices? I'm going to keep going until I don't have breath in me. And again, here we are at at zero speed talking about all these great theoretical concepts and, Mm -hmm. you know, and I get a bad review in my show and I'm crushed for the day and how 
pansy, <laughs> you know, and how pansy is that, right? And like, oh, I just yeah. want to quit, you know. But but I think that's why it's important to have that those. I love that you talked about that. I'm even struggling trying to. I know exactly what you're saying because it's just that you still have to to go forward, even though you may not be successful. What choice do you have? I call it kind of like the in the mud moment, right? You got it. You're going to be in it, and you may go deeper in the mud. But when it's all said and done, and you finally do get out of it, and I think it's important to know. I, I think that's what I was trying to say. It's important to know when that grayness in that mud moment, you actually do have a choice. No matter always, what, no matter what's going on, as long as you have breath in your body, you still have a choice, and that's very powerful. I think if if you in that gray moment, if you can remember that, I think you got more of a fighting chance. Well, you know, so I, I I'll add something to that simply because I've been asked to try to take deep dives with clients and you know try to make a point in a one hour keynote that has a great takeaway and. And so uh, having to dive into that for the past three years, here's what I know to be true. And for some reason, very few people know it at this level. And I, I, I don't know if I created it or came up with it. I just know this to be true. The only thing humans have that everybody is born with is the, the ability to keep their word or not keep their word. Yeah. So in those moments of adversity, you made a promise. Keep it. You can choose not to. You may be able to go back and relive that moment later when you're fresh and and the sun is shining, or you won't. But in that moment, if you do your best to keep your word, you have an opportunity that few have. Yeah, I and mean, that that to me is what I learned as a leader. My promise to the men, and I don't know if anybody's ever heard the real promise that leaders make to men. It's not about hitting the target. Yeah, it's not about being successful in combat. The only promise you make to the men is I'm going to do whatever it takes to get you home. Yeah, yeah, and I will do whatever it takes if I have to bend over backwards, if I have to walk on broken glass myself. That's what I do. And that's still, whether it's the right promise or not, whatever promise you make to somebody, keep it. Yeah. You know, there's so much in that. It's such a simple concept to understand, but there's so much to that on keeping your word no matter what, because that is where you're going to be probably tested the most in your life. You know what I mean? I mean, in combat or not combat, right? You're going to be, I said I was going to do this it looks bleak and the easy way out is, well, I'm going to go back on it or not do what I said I was going to do. Right. Yeah. And if you, the, the battle is always internal. Exactly. Always. And everybody that's, I think gets lost in history and in the writing of books. I, you know, I wish I could have made a better point in my book and, uh, I, I, you know, but I, I don't think I did the greatest job of writing what I wanted my kids to learn. Uh, and, but the element of real great success that is actually learnable is keep your word. Yeah. So I've, I've put now 28 people through this one-on-one intensive training that I've been asked to produce for executives and athletes and 
whoever else is brave enough to do it. Right. And so my I do a one homework assignment in the beginning because I want to see how this person that I'm training can honor their word. It's a simple, simple homework. And out of the 20 plus people that have gone through it one on one and the 150 that have tried it, I, I ask you a question. So let me tell you what the homework is. OK, do five push ups, five sit ups and five squats right before you go to bed. And right after you wake up and do it for seven days straight. So 150 people have tried it. How many of the 150 have done it exactly that way? Um, it's it's going to be an extremely low number. I'm just. Very low. Yeah. 10%. So 11 people now. 11. <laughs> 11. 11. It's not that they're dishonest. Right. It's because what the exploration is all inside how it's a thousand ways to quit in life. The moment you make a commitment, there's subtle, seductive, believable language that comes up that will talk you out of it. Yeah. I mean, that, and Pat, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was Sorry. just going to say that, that, that is the, that is why life is so hard. I mean, it really gets the root of why everything in life is so, or we make it so difficult. We do. Yes. And so what happens with once you learn that experience, you start writing down every reason there is to quit in life. Good. So those are your reasons. Just don't use them again. Right. You have to go back to whatever. It's the, now after you learn that, then what do you want to make a, an agreement on and make it big? If you know what's going to stop you. And it ain't the environment. The weather doesn't stop you because SEALs learned that the weather and the environment is is just a data point. Right. They make an agreement to do something. It probably is not going to be pretty. And if there's a wall in the way, that's just a it's a wall. Either I go through it or around it. Right. And OK, my leg hurts. I'm tired. In worst case, my buddy's shot. And we're dragging him. We're still going to get it done. Because we've in the SEAL community in hell and in hell week. And now what I'm taking into the business community is take that level of attention to honoring your word and to everything you do and you'll get it done. Yeah. Who cares if it takes 10 years? You know, the simplicity of it is what's so attractive to it. And I think a lot of times I'm curious how many people, when they hear that, they think, Oh, it's gotta be more than that. But the reality is there's a lot of work and intentionality behind that that I don't think a lot of people fully appreciate. And your example of doing the exercises in the morning and the night is, is sums it up. Right. I mean, it's, it's very, yeah. there is a lot of work to it. I, I don't want to detract from the viability of relentless training yes. and practice. That's really what success is. Yep. It's relentless. You hit, you, you get knocked down, get back up learn, adjust, mm -hmm. adapt, and all that military jargon of adapt and overcome and all mm -hmm. that. That's really where success comes from. Great leadership comes from that. Yep. And, but what great leaders know is when something comes out of their mouth, that's them. Right. And then when their, their team even guys above leaders, so not you're not always the top leader. And you, what you also demand in other people is when they say A, that's them. They make A happen. 
Right. And that's the greatest thing you can ever learn from any situation is I made a promise and I kept it. Yeah. And then all that gap in between was life. I love that. You know? Yeah. I love it. And I know, um, at the root of that, I'm, is, is a style of leadership that really, it's almost like you can replace the word leadership with the word love. I, I say that in presentation that the Marine Corps is the most loving organization that I've ever worked in. I can imagine the SEALs was the ultimate in what you consider love. And when I talk about love in that sense, I get a lot of strange looks. And I think it's, um, I think it's because people, the way I talk about love and leadership, it's only, it's synonymous. But it, when when I talk about it, I think people are are thinking of the Valentine's Day emotion, which is crap, right? The love yeah. I'm talking about is pretty grimy, gritty, sacrificial. It has little, if any, much to do with what I'm feeling at the moment. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Does that yeah, resonate and, with you? Yeah, I don't shy away from the the word love and the application of it. Uh, and, and I hundred percent agree that if you get a friendship with a Marine and they let you in, so they don't let everybody in, not to the Marine Corps, but into their circle of friends. If you're inside of that, that is the distinction called love in every aspect. Yeah. Uh, and what that actually is, is that you also count the other person also counts. And if you're down, it, there's an empathetic feeling that goes on. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's one distinction that love is. And, you know, I, I think a little deeper than that. And in, in the SEAL community, as a leader in the SEAL community, if you don't have that emotion available where that other person counts more than me, you're going to be asked to leave yeah, because the other person's performance is what leaders are measured against, not my own. Right. And the blame's always on me, but it's on their performance. If, if the platoon fails, it's not their fault. It's the leader's fault. Exactly. And so in the business community that doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but, and you know, at home, if you have that deep sense where your family counts more than you, the family thrives. Yeah. Every time there's, there's no point in time where the family won't thrive because they'll get through adverse conditions because you give them all your attention. And yeah, so that's how I look at it. I don't know. Maybe different than how you framed it up. No, that's exactly how I, I see it. And I guess my, my follow-on question is how do you – and some of the resistance I've had from the real world, the, the corporate world, I guess, is how do you replicate that culture into you know L&J's accounting firm? Because mm-hmm. they'll look at and they'll hear your cool Navy stories mm-hmm. and your combat stories and Hey, and of course, it's at the extreme. Of course, you get that. I, I'm doing this, and we all have heard that before. Like you know, people don't join these warrior class organizations because for God and country, they do it for the guy next to him, right? And when that's that's all the successful battles are won because they were, to your point, 
cared more about the guy next to him than themselves, right? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, every time. Every yep. time. But how do you replicate that type of extreme culture? And I, I say it can be done, but I've had resistance. Be like, oh, well, that's combat. That's this or that's, you know, you're doing extreme things. You know, I'm an accounting firm or I'm a dry cleaning company. How do you replicate that, that culture? In the, uh, well, it's simple. And, and it, it's so flying, I'm not a flyer. I'm not a pilot. From my point of view of flying, it's complicated. Is it complicated? It's simple. Really it's simple. Yeah. So, yeah, and that culture is simple. And it's based on two premises, just two. Honor, honor your word and don't quit. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. If you do those two things, the next thing that comes out is you and I get to honor our word together and we're not going to quit together. And if we do something together, like if we have the same goal, the experience that you and I have in each yep. other is love. Yep. The problem in corporate culture is everything is so siloed that nobody feels like they get impacted or impact somebody else, which is tra a travesty. Yeah. Because the receptionist is impactful to the business. Yep. The boss obviously is impactful. Uh, I think when the boss gets it, the whole company gets it. Yeah. And that, so that's what my attack plan is, is attack leadership so that they get balance in their life coming out of those two premises of success. I mean, it's so simple, but to understand, that's what I love about it. Cause you can easily wrap your arms around that of keeping your mm -hmm. word and never quitting. And to your point is if we do that together, we experience that together, particularly if it's an adverse situation, which you will face at some point, and you come on the other side together, then that's where that, that culture starts to get cemented. It becomes like breathing, the loyalty is bred, the, the lifetime. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's how it's replicated. Well, and, and in corporate environment, I think there's a fear of failure that doesn't exist in the warrior community. In the warrior community, and I, I, I'm the assumption is that it happens in the Marine Corps. And I went through Marine Sniper School, so mm -hmm. I can't call myself a Marine. But <laughs> uh, in the SEAL community, the only environment that you exist in is failure. Right. Everything goes to failure. Every time you go out and train, you train to failure, to see what's broken, what needs to be fixed, how you can crush the next level. In the corporate environment, they are afraid to fail. Right. They don't want to know what the problems are. Mm -hmm. And they definitely don't want to know if they have a problem. And in the SEAL community, if you have a problem, your buddy's going to tell you. Mm -hmm. And you better correct it by tomorrow. And, oh, it's all good then, you know, but everybody knows that's coming up all the time. And so they, in the, in the real warrior culture, it's the embrace of failure that exists, that creates, there's no plateau. There's only an up curve. Mm -hmm. I don't know what's possible. 
let's go see where we are and push it. Yep. And I took on running ultra marathons because I'd had several back fractures from some helo crashes and the doc said, your running days are over. So I immediately signed up for a, an ultra marathon <laughs> because I didn't want to live in the condition called I can't. Yes. And it was hard and it still is hard. And I've done 10 big, you know, a couple hundreds and several fifties since then just to keep learning about myself. And so that not relevant to leadership, but, but in, so in the corporate culture, there's no conversation called let's break it. Right. Cause it caught, co- it costs money and time and energy and, there's going to be a vector down and we're going to be in the red and the investors are going to be scared and, oh my gosh, we're not going to make 10%. Okay. Well, how about 200%? Yeah. I'm interested in 200 and you can't get past 10% unless you break things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think in, in all of that breeds this kind of sweeping things under the rug, under the rug of building those silos. Um, you don't get those honest, frank, conversations, you know, uh, because people are afraid to speak up. I mean, uh, in the flying community, it's, it's the embrace. We talked about em, embrace your mistakes. There's no such thing. I mean, you can, you, we make them all the time. They just can't mm-hmm. be, they just can't be fatal. And, you know, I can't run into a mountain. I can't run out of gas. I can't land with my gear up. Yeah. You know, those are the things that we, we ultimately avoid. And that's why you have, and I think that's where corporate America goons it up too, is we're, they look at planning the wrong way. And from an aviation standpoint, I look at planning as my measure of success isn't hitting every single waypoint that I have on a flight plan of the thousands Mm -hmm. that I've flown. I could give a rats Mm -hmm. behind about each of the waypoints and did I hit it exactly on time and how much gas. I mean, I know that I have it there just so it can tell me if something's drastically wrong and then I can adjust. Mm -hmm. But all I care about is the outcome of getting all those warm pink and brown bodies to the destination, warm pink and brown. That's all I care mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, and it's gravy if it's early or on time and I got extra gas. Mm-hmm. And I think in corporate America, it, the focus is on the waypoints. Does that make sense? Instead of the outcome. Uh, yes. And you said something earlier that I want to step back to is, uh, what, happens in highly successful institutions, companies, teams is the teams that are really chronically successful. They plan and train in a benign environment for failures. So I'm sure that you plan for a gear up landing. Yeah. Everything we do is for failure. Every, every training event is towards some sort of failure. Yeah. And so, and when it doesn't happen, you're like, Ooh, thank, thank God we got <laughs> right, home. Right. So, but, and, and I don't notice, and I may be wrong and I've worked with, you know, 15 companies since I've gotten out that hesitation to see what the problems are. And if you do have a problem, go train it until it's gone. And that there's a real hesitancy to do that. And coming from the 23 years in the SEAL community, Everything was okay. Let's what would happen if? Well, let's go experience it. 
in a safe setting, not when people are shooting at you. Right. Because I guarantee, so I, I have a fun metric. I always like to measure things. And my wife told me that I'd spent 2,700 hours in active combat in my career. <laughs> wow. And so what happens in combat is everything that you didn't plan for or you could have not planned for because you were scared comes up. Right. And so SEALs learned that long ago prior to World War II that just plan for everything to go bad. So let's have a go bad training today. Right. What, ha what happens if you don't have water? Okay. Let's go feel it. What happens if you run out of rounds? You're still in the game. Find another solution. And so, but by the time you're in combat, you've done all these bad things so many times. When it happens, you just, oh, okay, we know what to do now. And there's no panic. And so, you know, like, where the stock market goes down two points, people are in a panic. <laughs> right. If it goes up, everybody's elated. But they didn't drive either of those, but they're reactive. And great leaders and great organizations don't respond to things they don't control. Right. And so they find ways to control everything, the good, the bad, uh, the people. And I, my opinion now is that everything is centered on people. Products be damned. The plane doesn't fly itself. The gun doesn't shoot itself. Yep. The people are the key to everything in a company. And uh, that's a great revelation to have as a leader is that people can do extraordinary things if you let them. Yeah, that's the key. You know, I, it seemed like a, from a leadership perspective in a corporate, I, I always think if you really wanted to shake it up in an organization, it's almost like, particularly if you're, if you're gun shy, and saying, well, we can't do it, it costs too much money. It'd be great if you could just spend, peel off 20% of your organization and let them just go completely rogue. You know what I mean? And yeah. and go figure things out. And and don't even expect a positive ROI. Yeah. And if you did that, I think that, and then let the other 80% cover the bills and keep the electricity on and service well, the customer. You know, some of the CEOs that I have trained I come to that revelation too, is nothing's going to work the first six times. So you break off a portion of, you know, the, the, the trusted people to go out and test it. Yeah. Uh, knowing full well, they're going to come back going, you know, I don't know if we're going to it's going to work exactly that way. But you know what? We learned six new things that we can apply. Mm -hmm. And then that company applies those six, six new things. And, oh, my gosh, they moved the needle past the 10% point to 20. And then they're like, well, we could do that a little more often. We could get to double down in a year. And, and risk adversity is a killer to a business. Yeah. Killer. And I could talk to you forever about this stuff. I'm really enjoying this. And uh, the book, you you wrote it a few years ago, but you said like behind uh, your wife. Did you tell me without your permission, put it on Amazon? Was that was that what you told me? <laughs> so I, I wrote a book to my children. I have three had three kids in 2009. 
And when I got back, I, I basically wrote it because Stacy and our last, you know, in bed together before I left for deployment, uh, said, I would like you to write things to the kids in case you don't come back. Mm. So for six months, I wrote uh, various experiences that I was having over there, very in, in the raw form, and ended up being 13 lessons that I wanted them to do in case I didn't come back. But then I came back, and she slyly says, hey, Tom, can you make that kind of readable now? So I went back, and it took me another nine months to make it in like a, in a manuscript form. And in the background, Stacy's negotiating to get it printed, and it ends up on Amazon, and we get it vetted. I'm like, okay, well, let's just get it vetted through the military community, and they came back with a positive on it. And then she puts it on Amazon, and then the rest is history. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. I love that. Well, good for her, and I'm glad that, and, you know, what a great um, kind of an ominous task probably at the time to write this down, you know. I can't imagine. The ominous task didn't come from sharing the experiences. It came from I had failed out of West Point in English. <laughs> and it was right. like asking me to uh, put on a pink tutu. <laughs> I'm like, oh, honey, God, I can't write. And she... And she said a simple thing to me that I, I cherish forever. And she said, hey, listen, writers write. So just write. And I'm like, oh, that's simple. I can write. I write 100,000 emails a day. I can write. And that change in conversation in, internally, I just said, okay, I can, I'll, I'll do it. So, I, it, you know, and, then, and then the book gets produced. But the original title was called Spartan Woman because I wanted my kids to know the value of a woman in a warrior's life. And you never hear about that, except the freaking editors and the publisher decided that it won't sell. And, uh, you know, so it ended up being unbreakable and Navy SEALs way of life. <laughs> so <Wow. laughs> I like to tell that story because I wish it had stayed at Spartan Woman. Yeah, I like that better, <laughs> too. I like that. Why do they think it wouldn't yeah. sell that way? I, I don't know anything about the book community. Oh. It's a fun industry. I learned so much in the past three years. Woo. Man. Crazy. Well, yeah. how, how can people get in touch with you? How can they find you? Obviously, you've, you've turned this into a business where you help organizations, you give keynotes, you do one-on-one -on -one coaching, you, you go into an organization, help them turn around. How, how can they get in touch with you? Well, my partners and I started a business called Adamantine Alliance. Uh, and then, so how you can reach out to us is through TomShea.com. And we have created a fun pipeline where you take a profile test to figure out your level of balance and your ability to overcome problems. And we have an online guided process through the 13 lessons of the book and, uh, do keynotes quite often. And if you're really brave and you really want results, the one-on-one -on -one is highly recommended if you're committed. And uh, and the book is on Amazon. And now we I've been talked into doing podcasts like yours, and uh, and that's uh, Unbreakable Podcast with Tom Shea. 
I'll have links to all of this. Um, fans of the show, please go uh, find Tom's stuff. He is the real deal. He is dose of leadership tribe material for sure. Um, Tom, you definitely uh, have been a great guest. I look forward to uh, staying in uh, contact with you. You're definitely part of the dose of leadership tribe. I'm so glad you came on the show. Uh, there's so much more I want to explore with you. Would you come back? Be willing to come back? Oh, sure. Sure. <laughs> I'd love to. Really would. All right, man. Uh, again, thanks for coming on the show, and uh, we'll talk again soon. All right. Thank you. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. My little brother's friends have been camped out at our place for two days straight. Three. It's because of the Xfinity 10G network. Internet that can handle a house full of screens at once, with like basically no interruptions. And it's only getting faster. When I was their age, internet like this was a pipe dream. You sound like my grandpa. Please go home. Introducing the next generation 10G network, only from Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas.